When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I just spent this morning for the first time watching Ryan Clark and, and uh, others on ESPN's Get Up, and it's driving me crazy. I mean, I'm too much talking. The only person that should be telling you what's going on is me. Look, when you're coaching, Bear Bryant said it best. What do you do game day? I think of ways not to lose for my team. That's what you do. Dan Campbell lost game for his team. Yes, lost game. Lost the biggest game. The game for his team with his abominable mistakes. And don't tell me that's how they got there. That's one way of how they got me. We're going to discuss this. We're going to discuss everything, football, all morning. It's a glorious day. I'm on one. Let's go. Don't at me starts right now. Look, don't try to tell me, well, that's how they got there, man. Going forward on fourth down. Yeah, well, that's a part of how they got there. Okay? That's a part. It's not the only way that they, quote, they, the Detroit Lions, got there. They got there because they developed the tough mentality. They got there because they got good wide receivers, at least except for that Reynolds kid. We'll dive into that in a minute. They got there because of the rejuvenation of Jared Goff, the former number one pick who came out to Detroit and has been as good as any quarterback, I swear to you, in the NFL. They got there, sure, because of their we're going to go for it mentality. They got there because, sure, we want to play harder and better than you, and we're more gutsy than you. We take more chances than you. We fake field goals more than you. We fake punts more than you. We go for it on fourth down more than you, but that wasn't yesterday. That wasn't yesterday, and that wasn't a game week six against Carolina somewhere in Carolina. No, this was the once-in-a-lifetime, maybe, NFC championship game where you have control of the game, except you didn't. If you really watched and you really paid attention, the defense of San Francisco was stepping up a little bit. So you're up 14. Let me go through this. Everything else mattered after this, but not really. And I say this not as a fan. I say this not as a broadcaster. I say this as a guy who has been in this situation hundreds of times, both for me and against me. You have a chance with a 17-point lead going into halftime. Just follow me here, okay? The 49ers have the ball, and you heard this after the game from Shanahan. Shanahan said this, we got the ball first, we got a field goal, which was bad. He put that in there. Now, now people aren't seeing that. He said, which was bad. Why is that bad? Well, it's bad because, frankly, you wanted a touchdown down 17. Field goal, it's still two touchdowns. You're happy you got a bucket. I call it a bucket. You're happy that you scored. It beats the living you-know-what out of not scoring. But okay, so now, just follow me here. This is how you think as a coach. You drive down the field. You're the Lions. Clock's running. There's two 15-minute quarters. Clock's running. There's 30 minutes. 
You get the ball. It's fourth down. It's a 14-point lead. You kick the field goal there. Here's what you've done. You've cut the second half by a quarter. One quarter. Seven and a half minutes out of there. And assuming you make it, which is about a 95% chance, assuming you make it, you're at the same number that you were to start the second half, only you've cut it in half. You've cut it by a quarter. That's huge. That is, you want analytics? There's your freaking analytics. Now, you can go ahead and say the Reynolds kid dropped the football. He did. Should he have made the catch? He should have. But did he? No. And here's the difference, all right, for people that are saying, well, he should have made the catch. Fine. He should have made the catch. And if he makes the catch, who knows what happens? Maybe you end up kicking a field goal. Maybe you get a touchdown. I don't know. But here's the deal. Here's the risk part. And this is what you know as a coach or you should know as a coach or what I was taught by Coach Knight when I'm coaching. The other side of it. Understand the other side of it. What happens if you don't get it? What happens with momentum? I'm screaming at the TV. Screaming. And Lee understands because Lee was a coach. No, not now. Why? You kick the field goal. There's no momentum. There's zero momentum. None. Zip, zero, zilch, none, nada. Zippo. None. You kick off, you line up, you kick the ball in the end zone. Here comes Brock Purdy to the 25-yard line. Now we're starting over. Now we're up three scores. They haven't had a touchdown in a long time. It's not like this is a back and forth. They're scoring a touchdown. They're scoring a touchdown. We already said they came out, they being the 49ers, came out and got a field goal, which Shanahan told you was bad. So there's your ball game. The only chance, nah, not the only chance, but one of the only ways that game could have gone the other way based on how it was played. Now, you got to understand, every game's organic based on how this particular game was being played. The Lions were pretty much having their way with the 49ers. The 49ers and their crowd were flat because the Lions were kicking their ass. Only chance you had, victory favors the team making the fewest mistakes, was if that guy made a mistake, and he made a huge one. He made a career-changing mistake, and it was a simple move. Kick the field goal, no momentum. All right, let's hear, let's hear from Dan Campbell after the game. And sometimes you can only say so much, you got to live it, unfortunately. And you got to get your heart ripped out, which we did. And it's a lesson learned. And look, I told those guys, this may have been our only shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. I, I'm well aware. And it'll be, it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was this year. Uh, he's right and he's wrong. Uh, he's absolutely right. Uh, they got their heart ripped out. Absolutely right. And will it be harder next year? I don't know. I think that the Lions pretty much are a team that everybody wanted to beat this year. I think the Lions from the start of the year, the notoriety, how good they are, I, I think that they absolutely are that kind of team. Now, they got to get better. But you can say all that, and if I were a player in the locker room, I'd be like, yeah, dude, uh, kick the freaking field goal. And, and then, look, a lot of things had to happen. I, I, I totally get it. All right, I, I totally, totally, totally get it. And one of the things that happened was Brock Purdy was damn good. 
You know, all these racist guys on ESPN, the Ryan Clarks, the RG3s, you know, if you see an African-American analyst on ESPN, they're always downplaying Brock Purdy. Why? Simply because he's white. And I get it. I do. I 100% get it. You know, that's the change everybody wanted. So there you go. You got your change. You can talk bad about white guy. Ryan Clark said to the point of, I, well, the hardest thing that I had to do was act like Brock Purdy was a really good quarterback. Well, it's because Ryan Clark's an, an idiot. And I'm watching him this morning. He speaks for 10 minutes and literally says nothing. It's like watching softball on ESPN. You watch softball on ESPN, the women announcers don't know crap about the game. They just talk about feeling. And that's all Ryan Clark did. He sounded like a preacher. And by the way, Michael Strahan's up there. Why was he screaming at us yesterday? It was unbelievable. He's I'm not, I'm not, shut up. But anyway, so Purdy shuts all these idiots. Second half, 13 to 16, 174 yards, 49 yards rushing. I don't know what to tell you. Now, I get it. He's a white dude, and the black analysts don't like him, and that's fine because he's nowhere near Lamar. And by not, okay, but you know what? The dude's a stud. I thought he was awful last week. But you know what? Aren't you allowed to be awful one time? And I agree with what anybody wants to say. Look, Lamar Jackson, you're great, but I don't know, man. I get it. You can throw it against uh, Cincinnati week seven, but you weren't throwing it good. And Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, kept dropping him back. Look, there used to be a thing called the single wing. You hiked it to your best player, and your best player either ran it or throw it. That's it. There's a school in Indiana called Valparaiso High School back in the day. They had a kid named Butterfield. He ended up being the mayor. You hiked it to him. He went right. He ran left. He started running. He threw it. He made every play. That's what Lamar Jackson should be. Not dropping back to pass. What are you, nuts? Particularly with guys like Zay Flowers. And speaking of Zay Flowers, did you know this? So Zay Flowers reached to get into the end zone, which you think is a good move for the Ravens, right? Did you know this? Bill Belichick. I saw this on Twitter. I think it was Wes Welker or maybe it was, uh, not sure, one of the old, not old, they're not that old, but one of the former Patriots guys said, Bill Belichick, unless it's fourth down, you never extend for the goal line with the ball. I didn't know that. Unless it's fourth down. And that makes sense because you extend what happens. Guys are coming and they're going to hit the ball. So the kid Zay Flowers... He fumbles it, but at, before he fumbled it, he did what the Ravens did the entire game. He was an undisciplined mess. Makes a great play, then has to taunt, has to act like an idiot, has to act like a 12-year-old. Penalty, move it back. Now he's going in the end zone, knocked out. Now he goes to the bench, cuts his hand. I mean, we have children playing a men's game. This is a man's game. But anyway, long story short, what a day of football. I miss football already. I got one game left. I don't like it. I love me some football. All right. But back to the Ravens real quick. The Ravens lost because they were undisciplined. The Ravens lost because their quarterback kind of crapped the bed. But I'll give you something else. The Ravens lost because you just played against the best quarterback in the history of the league. Look, I don't know what you want to say. I understand. Back in my day, there was no greater quarterback. I mean, nobody was better. Nobody was better than Joe Montana. Nobody. I mean nobody. Dan Marino, right in the mix, best thrower to football. But Joe Montana, he's the best. He's the standard. Nobody will ever match him. And then you know what happened? Along came Tom Brady. Nobody's ever matching Tom Brady. Then you know what happened? Patrick Mahomes came. 
My God. And what did we tell you? And I already did it. I looked. I got today. When I woke up, I saw the line. Mahomes was getting a point. I took Mahomes in the Super Bowl because you just don't bet against Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs when they are getting points. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you. Did you ever feel like watching the game with the Chiefs that the Chiefs weren't in total control? Did you ever? I didn't. I felt like Mahomes had this thing in his hip pocket damn near the entire time. And let me give a shout-out to a personal friend, number 73, Nick Allegretti, who substituted it in for a guy named Joe Tui. Joe Tui got hurt. Nicky is in. Nick's dad was on our show last year. Carl. Carl's a friend of mine. We grew up together. Carl was the biggest kid in the neighborhood, hit the longest home run in the history of Junedale Little League off of me. I was 10. He was 12. It was a championship game. My coach put me out there to pitch the championship game as a 10-year-old pitching against 12-year-olds. And Carl Allegretti hit it not over the fence, not over the score, but I can still see it because the entire city was there. Hell, Lori Basic was there. Uh, the Yoakum sisters was there. That's all I cared about. I was 10 years old. I was squints from frickin' uh, Sandlot for crying out loud. I was always sniffing around the girls as a 102-pound guy. But I got the start on the hill, and Carl Allegretti's dad hit it over the fence, over the scoreboard, and over the flagpoles. Carl Allegretti went and played football at Butler. His son, Nicky, left guard, filling in. Unbelievable job. We'll get Carl on the show. He was on last year after Nick and them won the Super Bowl. But congratulations. I got a great picture of Nick Allegretti sitting there that I may send to the fellas here that Carl sent me of Nick just gassed. Gassed. Anyway, what a great day yesterday was. That was fun. Brock Purdy. 21 of 31, 267, a touchdown and interception, 49 yards, rushing first playoff win in two years, and he can't play because the African-American dudes hate that a white dude, African-American dudes on TV hate that a white dude can go get it done. Hey, look, Ryan Clark, it's okay, bruh. <laughs> it's okay, bruh. You can say, you can say that you're, it's all right. You, you can say Brock Purdy's good. You don't have to lie. But you know what? The world keeps us spinning. Why am I wearing my Indiana shirt? I may wear my Indiana shirt until Indiana wins another game, for crying out loud. Can't beat Illinois. Uh, Micah Parsons back in the news. I've told you this about Micah Parsons, didn't I? Didn't I? I think I did. I'm looking over there. There's nothing there. But anyway, I told you this about Micah Parsons. Look at this. Micah Parsons is the most selfish player on the Cowboys, says Jesse Holly, former Cowboy. I love NFL news. I love NFL angst. And by the way, anybody that doesn't think that whole Taylor Swift and Jason Kelsey thing isn't real or Travis Kelsey thing isn't real, you're nuts. That's as real as it gets. That's as real as my bald head. Anyway, I digress. Micah Parsons, to me, is probably the most selfish player on this football team. One of the reasons that Michael Parsons does not want to play linebacker is it's too much of a responsibility. Maybe it's just a youth in him. Micah doesn't want to study. Micah doesn't want to focus, and and I truly believe Micah wants to be great for Micah. Well, okay. You know, we know this. Think about it. Draymond Green does podcasts that people pay attention to. So does Micah Parsons. Now, uh, did Michael Jordan? Does LeBron? I don't know. Like, Draymond Green would not be in the Michael Jordan-LeBron category. Okay, we get that. We get that, but Micah Parsons could be. Do any of the greats in any sports do a podcast that is hosted by them so they can get more attention? I don't think so. 
Look, you're me, you do a radio show, you do a streaming show, you do all, yeah, you do podcasts, you do anything. I mean, what the hell? It's the business that I'm in. But if I was a business, if I was in the business or when I was in the business of being a basketball coach, I did only the things, the shows that I was contractually obligated to do. The coaches show, Sunday morning, the coaches uh, Monday, night, Monday night call-in show. Fine, no problem, loved doing it. it, enjoyed it. Even when we lost, it was like therapy for me. But I wasn't going to go set aside time to go ahead and be a media star in the middle of my career. You know what you want? You want wins. You want legacy. You know what you want, truthfully? You want what Patrick Mahomes has. Like, Patrick Mahomes just goes through life. Patrick Mahomes just does the things that he's supposed to do, which is what? I mean, look, I bet you this. I bet you nobody studies harder than Patrick Mahomes. I don't see Patrick Mahomes doing a, oh, I don't know, doing a podcast of his own for attention. I mean, I, I don't know. I, you tell me. So do you want to be great or don't you? This drives me nuts. Patrick Mahomes wants to be great and wants to go down as the greatest ever, and he is on his way. Michael Parsons, Draymond Green. Draymond Green's got himself a place, probably be a Hall of Famer. But Draymond Green got himself a place as a media star and a dimwit. He went out and, st- and hit Anthony Davis this weekend and then acted like an idiot doing all this. Can't stop himself. But when you watch the game yesterday, compare what, what Kelsey, who does have a podcast, compare what Kelsey and Mahomes did with what we're talking about here with Micah Parsons and others. Kelsey, you could tell, man, he was coming out to kick somebody in the ass. 11 catches. Are you kidding me? Broke Jerry Rice's record. Are you out of your mind? That is incredible. Patrick Mahomes, I'll read it to you. For the sixth consecutive season with Mahomes as their starting call, uh, quarterback, the Chiefs reached the AFC Championship game. The only streak longer is New England from 2011 to 2018. All I know is this. The Chiefs led the league in drop passes. Mahomes still threw it to them. Valdez, Scanling, whatever, has made three big-time catches. Because you know what? When it comes time, you got to concentrate and you got to play, Micah Parsons, not walk out here and be a dude that is trying to be a media star when you're right in the middle. Look, a guy like me playing, I need, I guess I would need the attention. You're trying for legacy. You want to be talked about like Reggie White is talked about. You want to be talked about like Richard Dent. You want to be talked about like the greats of the sport. You know, I tell you who's a bad boy is Chris Jones. Chris Jones, bad man. Chris Jones, bad mother. Shut your mouth. But we're talking about Chris. Tell you who else is bad man, Aiden Hutchinson. Like my mug? My wife got it for me. What do you think? Sack up. Should sell him on Outkick. I mean, what the hell are we doing? Anyway, uh, let's go to the awful side of sports. By the way, Chris Mano, who played for the Chiefs, is going to join us, and so is our friend Chad Withrow. Let's go to the seedier side of sports. Now, there are certain things that just don't fit. And talking about this just doesn't fit. But that's okay. I don't care. Remember Leah Thomas, the swimmer, the dude that wants to swim against women, swam against women, and somehow became a champion against women? Remember her, him? Well, she, he, is filing and fighting a secret legal battle because she, he, wants to swim in the Olympics for the United States. I'm going to give something to Leah Thomas, the chick. She's got some nuts on her. 
She's got some satchel. She's got some balls, ladies and gentlemen. You know, some people wilt when they see their name in the paper negatively or they see their name on Twitter negatively. Other people are like, yeah, I don't care. But this thing wants to go and for, uh, swim in the Olympics. So she's battling for a 2024 roster spot. I say good. I say, look, let's go. You're going to compete for a 2024 roster spot with the dudes. Let's have at it. Let's go. Let's see how you do. I'll give you. Hey, look, the Olympic trials, you are in, lady man. You are in, dude girl. We want you there, but it's going to be against the men. Let's go, and let's put it on national TV. Let's just do that. What's fair is fair. I've said this before, and I'll say this again. Women transitioning to men should play against the men. Men transitioning to women should play against the men. Because right now, in both of those cases, they only play, compete against women. I'll say it forever. Let them compete against the men. Let's go. I'll give you an exemption, Leah Thomas. You're exempt. You get into the trials. You don't have to be any good. You don't even have to make the prerequisite times to qualify for the Olympic trials. You and your, you and your package, you and your set of these nuts gets to go, and let's put it on TV and let's see how you do. And then you know what happened? Nobody, not one single person, will pay attention to you anymore. People will be like, yeah, I'm good. That's okay. We're out. Hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Nine Brigham Young University fans showed up for a game against Texas wearing T-shirts that spelled out the phrase horns down. I think that's it, right? Horns down, I think. But once the game started, they were asked to cover it up. Now, what is the problem with horns down? What is it? Are we saving America from another racist attack? Is BYU, probably so, overly sensitive because of the nonsense from the lying Duke volleyball player about racist slurs being hurled at her? You see in the front row, horns down. Is this that egregious? I mean, what are we talking about in the United States of America where you can't go to a college basketball game and people respectfully... Nothing racist, nothing sexist, nothing misogynist, nothing but college kids wearing H. You wear the O. I'll wear the R. Uh, Dylan, you wear the N. Nick, one, you wear the S. Nick, two, D. Gary, O. Uh, let's go. Beth, you wear W. Come on, Aaron. Get the N. You know, I mean, and that's bad. Uh, you, you guys got to explain this to me, please. Please explain this to me so that I can move on with my life. There are certain things that are ridiculous, all right? Here's a press conference. Let's hear from the coach, Mark Pope. Thanks, guys. Hey, um, if I can, Ty's going to be mad at me here, but uh, I don't know. You guys reported on this horns down t-shirt. <coughs> are you guys hearing this? Yeah. The t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, and just know from our student, from our, uh, you know, they were taken off before the game started, right? And, and from, our, from the rock and from our players and from our student body, uh, that's just not us. It's, that's not how we roll. And it was just a, a miscalculation on, on just a couple eager kids. 
which we love the eagerness of these fans, but this is not it's not what we do here. So uh, we love every, all 18,000 people in, in this gym. They were incredible tonight. And just that, just so you know, that's not um, that's not something that we're supporting. Okay, awesome. Okay. You know, I just said. I mean, again, this is why maybe I'm sitting here, but I'd be like, I don't understand the problem. Unless, of course, uh, I needed the money and the AD was holding a gun to my head about my job. I'd be like, I don't know what the problem is, man. It's college. It's college basketball. It's college football. We can't do nothing to slow down the respectful, in a way, enthusiasm of college kids. I mean, are you insane? This would be my press conference. Look, I just want to address this horns down thing. Our society is out of its freaking mind. Horns down is neither inappropriate, wrong. It's perfect. It's a perfect jab at an opponent coming into a rival school and competing in a sport. This isn't war. This isn't race relations. This isn't anything that is at any higher level than a basketball game between two teams in our building, and our students had fun with it. Is horns down racist? You tell me, writer boy. Is it sexist? Is it misogynist? Is it anything other than a slant on what another school does as their thing? So anybody that has a problem with it, you need to get a life. You need to stop being a jackass. You need to grow the hell up. To anybody that is offended by it, you know what? Go stand over there and be offended. I'm disgusted with our school for having any type of problem with it. They want me to get up here and they want me to say, well, it's not who we are. But of course it's who you are. It's every college student who you are. Every college student is looking for fun. Every college student is looking to jab somebody. Every college student wants to come up with something original. It's absolutely who people are. Why are we afraid to say it? Of course it's who we are. Think about when you were in college. What'd you do? You know what you did? You found stuff to do. I was just talking to my stepson the other day, Jared. He's like, yeah, you know what? We figured out how to put four crappy TVs together. We all had uh, Call of Duty, and we played, and we figured seven hours we were playing in college. Seven hours. And these dudes were smart kids. These dudes were really smart kids. That's what you do in college. And to have any kind of ridiculous a look, I'm going to be upset by this is as asinine as anything you'll ever hear. And it really has me kind of pissed off because, frankly, frankly, this is much ado about nothing, and BYU gave in to just simple what? What did they give in to? What, what did they give in to? They give in to the mob? They give in to mass hysteria? They gave in to nothing. Jesus. I'll tell you what. I wish I could stay this age. I like, I like life. I like living. I like how my life is. I, I have an unbelievably great life, and I thank God for it every day. But I don't want to be any younger. Now, I don't want to be any older either because, you know, at some point things aren't going to work that need to work to keep life interesting and happy. But the fact of the matter is if I got to be younger and come up in a world that's worried about that, we're insane right now. Here's something that's important. You want something that's important? I'll give you something that's important. You want something that should be uh, criticized? You want something that should be vilified? You want something that is of consequence? It's Vince McMahon. We talked about it the other day. Vince McMahon is the HMFIC. We all know this. 
He is the HMFIC of the WWE. Okay. All right. So Vince McMahon, and this seems like it's been going on forever. It seems like you can't swing a dead cat without Vince McMahon doing something stupid, whether it was roids to ass. I don't even know. So this guy, McMahon, founded the WWE in 1982. He just resigned from his position. He's 78 years old. Yeah, I was wondering. Like, I looked this up before the show, and I'm like, how old is this guy? It feels like, you know, 1982 was my heyday. It was my prime. It was when I, you know... 1982, I was getting it done in college, and we bought, the first thing I ever bought on pay-per-view was Royal Rumble or whatever they called it, one. And I mean, we couldn't wait. Practice my ass. Let's go. But anyway, so McMahon, he's facing a lawsuit. It's a serious lawsuit by a lady named Janelle Grant who worked for him. Janelle Grant worked in the WWE's legal and talent department. She alleged that McMahon forced her into a sexual relationship in order for her to obtain and keep her job and passed around pornographic pictures and videos of her to other men, including other employees. This was filed in U.S. District Court in Connecticut, and that happens to be exactly where the WWE is located. It's also John Laronidas the company's former head of talent relation and general manager. She alleges abuse, sexual exploitation, trafficking. Now, this is some important stuff. This is some stuff that, you know what? We got to figure out. You can't have. Now, think about the two things that I've just talked about. One is horns down T-shirts. And the other is this. Now, McMahon is saying that Miss Grant's lawsuit is replent with lies, obscene, made-up instances that never occurred, and this is a vindictive distortion of the truth, and he intends to vigorously support himself, all right? He, he, McMahon, stepped down. Well, did you know he also stepped down in 2022 amid an investigation and allegations of the same type? It gets a little deeper. The lady, Janelle Grant, signed a non-disclosure agreement in 2022 in connection with an agreement from McMahon to pay her $3 million. The board started an investigation the same year. All right. So, listen to this. In this lawsuit, McMahon, listen to this, McMahon paid Grant a $1 million, but stopped making payments. Oh, really? Thereafter. He stopped making payments. She seeks to void the NDA along with receiving unspecified financial damages. All right. It also implicated a former UFC heavyweight champ with, uh, with whom WWE was actively trying to sign a new contract. So they had a lot of people saying it's Brock Lesnar. I don't, I don't know. His name comes up in here. But the, but the point is they were passing this girl around, apparently as incentive to join the WWE. Now, here's the deal. I would have a little problem. I want to know the facts. But if I were making a decision on this, I got to ask McMahon, okay, two questions. One, I got to ask both of them two questions. One, why'd you stop making payments? I mean, why'd you stop? Paid her a million bucks, you're supposed to pay her three. Why'd you stop? And two, why uh, is this lawsuit, Miss Grant, only because he stopped making payments? And I'm sure it is, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I got to know from McMahon, why would you stop making payments on something like this? Why would you do that? This is interesting. Now, this is some serious stuff. This is unbelievable. 
But it seems like this is every day. This is like a walk in the park. So McMahon had an ND, a non-disclosure with this woman from a lawsuit. That got settled. Three million was supposed to go to the woman. He paid her a million, stopped making payments. My guess is because of all that's going on with the WWE, UFC, going to Fox, leaving Fox, going to Netflix, going to all these different things. Um, here's the deal. McMahon got more than $2 million he could fork out. He could probably pull that out of a bank account somewhere that nobody knows he even has, throw her $2 million and be done with it. So what happened here? I want to know what the hell happened here. I don't really like these type of things. I don't like them. But I will say this. This one fascinates me. It does. It fascinates me because you're paying, you know, you know, if somebody has the stones to pay a lawsuit or start a lawsuit against someone like McMahon, you know they got stones to get pissed when you don't pay off the money you're supposed to be paying. So you put yourself right in front of an oncoming truck and you got hit by a truck. That truck named Janelle hits you right in the head. Man. I want to go back to football. Congratulations to Steve Spagnola. Steve Spagnola is a guy, he's the, they call him Spags, defensive coordinator of the Chiefs. Steve Spagnola, I've known Steve Spagnola since 1997. Steve Spagnola was an assistant football coach at Bowling Green when I became the head basketball coach at Bowling Green State University. One night at a party, this is my thing, and you will figure out why and how I get divorced, right? I'm at a party. I'm looking around, kind of bored. I leave. I just leave. I leave my wife. She's having a good time. I leave my wife. I just leave. I go home. I felt guilty that I wasn't working and I was at a party at Tim Dunn's house. Next thing you know, knock on the door about 1 in the morning. Here comes my wife, Spags, and his girlfriend. I'm like, what's going on? My wife is none too happy. Spags is looking at me laughing, going, you just left? I go, that's what I do. I go, that's what I do. I don't know what to tell you. So we had a laugh. We always laughed about it. I hadn't seen him in 100 years, and I'm one of those guys that's now claiming a friendship. All right. But I always liked Spags. I used to go over to football offices and hang out with the football coaches. I used to go to lunch with the football coaches. I just like football coaches. I do. But congratulations, Spags. Like, when you think about the Kansas City Chiefs, you think about what? Patrick Mahomes. You got to. Now you think about Travis Kelsey, who's a bad, bad man. I love that Pancheco, Panchero, whatever the hell his name is. After an entire season of watching freaking Jonathan Taylor run out of bounds, I got to see a guy go for extra yards, Walter Payton style. But did you know how good the defense was of the Kansas City Chiefs? Did you know how good Spagnola and that team is? I did not. I did not. And I'm going to be saying this all offseason. Toughness wins in the NFL. Toughness dominates in the NFL. The four best teams were all built on toughness. It's kind of fascinating. All right, let's go back to Dan Campbell. A lot of you might be upset. Well, you know, this is how we got there. It is? Okay. This is how we got there. How did we get there? We got there by going forward on fourth down. No, no, no. That was a part of how you got there. But when you're up 14, and there was a bunch of plays, don't get me wrong, there was a ton of plays 
The ball off of the face mask of the defender goes into Ayuk's hands. Lynn Swan style. Back in the day, a lot of you younger guys, you can go look it up. Lynn Swan doing that in the Super Bowl. Tip ball. Unbelievable stuff. But the fact of the matter is, you got a chance to go up three scores with one quarter of the second half eliminated. 17 and a, or excuse me, seven and a half minutes to go in the freaking game. I just lied. Seven and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. And if you make a 90% chance field goal, then you have kept the score at 17. The same score it was when you started the half and you've cut off a quarter of the game. Because there's only 30 minutes left in the game when you go in at halftime, you cut off seven and a half, which is a quarter. Now you kick off, the ball goes through the goalpost, everybody runs down the field, everybody's excited, ball gets put at the 25 and there's no momentum. You and I both know, you sitting wherever you sat, me sitting on my Dupayash in Indianapolis, as soon as that kid Reynolds did what apparently that kid Reynolds does, which is drop the football, you felt it in your place of watching. The momentum of the entire building, the entire city, the entire West Coast, the entire nation watching shifted. It switched. You could feel it in your bones. And now, by the time, think about this, it got to three minutes to go in the third quarter, period, whatever you call it, it was a tie game. Touchdown, fumble, touchdown. Unbelievable. And it didn't matter whether it was a fluke, it did, whatever. But the momentum had switched. It switched bigly. If you just kicked the field goal, that's all. You're up three scores, you've cut a quarter of the game off, and boom, there's no momentum. Unless you kick off badly, next thing you know, they run it back. Just it. I said this earlier, if you're just joining us, Bear Bryant, what do you do game day, Bear Bryant? I think of ways for us not to lose. Dan Campbell... I'll tell you this, Dan Campbell tried to screw it up at the end. You're down 10. It's fourth and freaking two to goal, two yards for touchdown. You kick the field goal there. You got to onside it anyway. Look, I understand, but if you don't make it, the game's over. They made it. Good for them. But that was a stupid decision. That was dumb. That was really dumb. Because regardless, you got an onside kick. Now, I understand it's harder if you onside kick and you get it. It's harder if you're going to to go in and score a touchdown than it is to kick a field goal. All right, before we go to break, we got our friend Chad Withrow joining us. Before we go to break, let's hear from Dan Campbell after the game. I thought he handled all this really well. And sometimes you can only say so much, you got to live it, unfortunately. You got to get your heart ripped out, which we did. And it's a lesson learned. And look, I told those guys. This may have been our only shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. I, I'm well aware. And it'll be, it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was this year. There you go. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You see him, you know him, you love him. He is on Hot Mike, our friend Chad Withrow. Chad, let's get right into this. Let's get into the Ravens. 
Will the Ravens win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson? I, I, look, I, I think so, but who knows? Because that, that was a bad performance yesterday, right? I, I came on here last week, Dan, or it was on our show, and I know I've talked about it with you also. I really think that Josh Allen has become kind of the Peyton Manning of the NFL, if we're looking for comparisons. Peyton Manning in his first six years with the Colts did not win a single playoff game. Josh Allen in his first six years, he just completed year number six. He's won five playoff games, but they each have the same amount of Super Bowls in that time, zero. And it took Peyton Manning with a miraculous comeback, I know you remember well, at home in an AFC championship game against Tom Brady and the Patriots after falling behind, I think, 21-0 or 24-0, 24-7, something like that. They come back, they win, then they go into the Super Bowl, and they win it all. I, th- I believe Josh Allen is going to win a Super Bowl. And, and I say that he's the Peyton Manning because I also think he's going to end up winning maybe one or two Super Bowls in his career. It's going to happen. I don't know if I feel the same way about Lamar Jackson. I also think that we're living in a world of extremes right now with reaction to this. I saw you talking about Ryan Clark and his, you know, emotional response to it, defending him and this and that. Look, Lamar Jackson's a great NFL quarterback. He's going to win his second MVP. You're not, you're really good if you win one MVP. You're really, really good if you win two MVPs. So I'm not going to sit here and say the guy's not a franchise quarterback or he's not great. He is. The question is, is he ever going to get to a point where he's making the big plays to win monumental playoff games, to get his team into the Super Bowl and not be the one that's costing them at times? And he's got to get over that hump. He's a franchise quarterback. He's a top five guy in the NFL, I believe. But is he a guy that's going to win a Super Bowl? I don't feel as confident in saying that as I do about Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen has played better in the playoffs than Lamar Jackson. His team has come up short, but I think he's been a better playoff quarterback. Lamar Jackson's got to show me more in the playoffs for me to be able to say he's definitely going to win a Super Bowl. Let me let me go to something else with you, and, and it's interesting because we are morphing in, and maybe we already have, we've morphed into, you know what, Mahomes is the Tom Brady. Who is the next, right? Who Who is right behind maybe it's Brock Purdy hell I don't know that Brock Purdy looked pretty good in the second half uh but let me let me go this route with you um why did or why do why do teams unravel like I really felt like I'm gonna stay with the Ravens here then we'll get to the Lions I felt like the Ravens unraveled like emotionally you know like it's like I'm saying this too long, but like when teams used to play against Michael Jordan, they got so hepped up, they thought they had to, they would unravel. I thought the same thing when I'm watching this. That's kind of what the Ravens did, thinking they had to beat Mahomes and Reed and those guys. They unraveled. I'm with you. And you know this, Dan, and I'm sure that, you know, you've taught this as a coach, and Bobby Knight talked about this a lot also. Emotional is such a powerful concoction in sport. It really can propel you at times. If there's a lull in, in, with, with your team during a season or in a moment, emotion can help you in sports. I'm a firm believer in that. I'm also a firm believer that it can destroy your plans. And I, I thought the Ravens yesterday were the classic example of that. They looked like a team that did not belong. They looked like the team that had not been in that spot before, and they had not. And, and the Chiefs, starting with the pregame warm-up, where you got Travis Kelsey talking trash right. to the kicker and chucking his helmet to the other side of the field, and standing off in front of them, I knew when I saw that happening, I'm thinking, the Chiefs will handle this well. 
I'm not so sure about the Ravens. And it blew up in their face that they played overly emotional. They played like children at times. Zay Flowers is the classic example of this, hurting his hand on the sideline after trying to stretch out for a touchdown and fumbling the ball. I just thought they were very immature in that game. And look, we can point to John Harbaugh. He's the head coach. It's part of that responsibility is on him. I think part of that responsibility is on Lamar Jackson too, as the leader of that team and, and the quarterback. You don't see the Chiefs self-destructing that way. You know, you, you mentioned that Patrick Mahomes is now the Tom Brady. I, I can see the comparisons. And look, if he wins this Super Bowl, he's on he's on a path to be even much better than Tom Brady if he can last 18 to 20 years in the league. That's how crazy his career has been so far. I recently started watching the John Wick movies. I know that I'm late to the game, but started watching them for the first <laughs> time. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs right now, they're John Wick. You can't kill them. And I, I thought that starting with the Miami game, that they were not good this year compared to their high standard. But it just feels like going into every game, they're so hard to kill. And I thought that the entire game against Baltimore, when they got that lead, it felt like they were never going to relinquish it, and they didn't. Patrick Mahomes is John Wick more than he is Tom Brady. You can't kill the guy, and that's a testament to him. I, I agree. I, look, um, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, you mentioned something that's interesting to me. Okay, Kelsey's losing his mind. Tra you don't see this – you don't see this outside of the team normally, but I really felt like – Mahomes, before the game, Mahomes and Kelsey said, hey, you know what, F this. This is you and me today. And it started that way. A lot of people can say that, Chad, but they're not good enough to do that. I thought I saw something extra out of Kelsey all day. You know that diving catch across? I just thought there was something extra to Kelsey in this game all day. When how many guys was he fighting on that Ravens defense? How many times did Patrick <laughs> right. and Roquan Smith did they end a play with one or the other one trying to bury them in the ground there in Baltimore? I, I thought they were under the skin of the Ravens players throughout the game. That Jadavion Clowney personal foul 15-yard penalty late in the game, that was so critical. I mean, I think, again, that was the emotion getting the best of them. And a, a big part of that was Travis Kelsey. He was talking trash in a way. He was getting after them from before the game even kicked off that I do believe he got in their head. And, and I'm with you. I, I think sometimes with the Chiefs, it becomes so simple as just guys who are savants at what they're doing, drawing stuff up in the sand or deciding, hey, if we get this look, you know what to do. And it's sort of that mutual eye contact of, we've got this, we know what we're doing here. I, I saw that with Kelsey and Mahomes more than ever yesterday, where there are times in that offense that it is very much improvised as you go. And they're just such on the same wavelength, he and Kelsey, that they're going to make something happen. I'm not saying that they're you know not running plays, but you know what I mean. When things break down, he's always going to look for him. So do I believe that, that Patrick Mahomes went to Kelsey before the game or Kelsey went to him and they decided, hey, we're going to get back to the Super Bowl and it's going to be on us. This is our type of game against this type of defense. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely what happened yesterday. And Travis Kelsey showed again, there's a lot of talk about him retiring. And I understand because he's got a future in media and there might be a Kelsey cast on Peacock for Sunday Night Football, just like the Manning cast and all those things. And he's with Taylor Swift. But I'm watching that guy yesterday and I'm thinking, don't rob me, the football fan, of more of this. Because I love watching Mahomes and Kelsey and he's got a lot left in the tank. And he showed that yesterday. I think he'll show it again in the Super Bowl.
I did not realize. I'm going to get to the Lions here in a minute, but I, I didn't realize how good the Chiefs' defense was. I, I really didn't. I, Steve Spagnuolo is a guy that I've known for 100 years. He was a coach at Bowling Green, assistant coach, and I was a basketball coach, and, and uh, I knew him then. I, I knew he was good. I knew the team was good. I did not know they were that good. Well, and Legereus Sneed is, is incredible. Whoa! Uh, and and that, play, that play he made is is awesome, right? I mean, oh. that, that's a guy we probably don't talk enough about how brilliant he's been uh, this season. And it stuck out to me, um, uh, Jamar Chase, right, before they played them was saying, well, they got one guy that is great, and it's Snead. He's like, the other guys, they're just guys in the secondary, and they keep trying to recreate Snead, but he's the guy you got to worry about. And, and you watch him, and you understand what Jamar Chase was saying. Let me go this route with you. Did Dan Campbell cost his team a shot at the Super Bowl? I mean, look, I, yeah, I, I think it, it, practically speaking, he, he did because if he kicks the field goal and they hit it, it's tied and it's probably a different finish to the game. But I, I can't, I can't get mad at Dan Campbell. You know, it's it, it, everybody talks about Dan Campbell's balls. Uh, that seems to be a talking point every game, and that's what that's who the Lions are. They have, I, I've heard this from coaches in the past. The best coaches out there, when you watch their teams play, they play like their coach. They play with the same personality and their teams resemble their coach. I can say that about the Lions. That, that, that's them. That, that's Dan Campbell. Everybody made fun of him for biting kneecaps and talking about that stuff in his opening press conference. But I watch a team that reflects that, that attitude. And Dan Campbell, there's no doubting how, how much he cares about his players and how much he roots for them and how much he wants them to succeed. He gets emotional talking about it. So there's this call and response of coach believes in the team, coach makes decision to show his faith in the team, and now the response is, well, how's the team going to respond? Will they reward the coach for showing that faith in them? More times than not, this Lions team, we can go back and for the show later today, I'm going to look up all the stats on how many times they went forward on fourth down, how much more they went for on fourth and other NFL teams, all that stuff. I bet we can go back to this Lions season and those 14 wins they got, which they never get for that organization, and see more times than not, that team rewarded Dan Campbell for that confidence in them when they went for it on fourth down. I'm willing to bet that's the case. Now, there are times where they're not going to reward you, and it's going to backfire. It backfired yesterday. There's no denying that. Those two fourth down attempts, and they almost went for it at the end of the first half, if you remember where I'm thinking, kick the field goal from the three and go up three scores. And he did that. But he's thought long and hard about going for the touchdown there, too. It backfired yesterday on him. But I'm not going to crush the guy because that's who he is. That's who they are. That's how they got to where they were. Dan, I just really hope that that's not the end of the story. Because we know how hard it is to get to that point, to get to a conference championship game. And there's no guarantees they get back to that point. It's going to be a real sad ending if that's the last time we see the Lions in that spot, and that's how it ended. Yeah, you can be really good and not get there. I mean, you can. You, you can be really – I mean, you can be damn good. I will say this. I think Jared Goff is really good. But you know what? I understand the dudes don't want to give jo uh, Brock Purdy credit, I, I, whatever. But that dude was magic in the second uh, second half, including with his legs. I I don't know, man. I, I, I thought he was awful last week. I did. I thought his ball had hump on it. I, thought, I just thought he was bad, but I thought he was not good. I thought he was great in the second half, and people need to shut up about that guy. He was incredible, and that one scramble late in the game on that big third-down mm. pickup, was uh, it was Mahomes-like. 
is what I was thinking when yes. I saw it. It was kind of a magic escape act that really propelled them in that game. Yeah, he had a great second half. It's crazy with Purdy because I think mentally when we watch him, we keep expecting the last overall pick in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, to show up. So when he throws that interception to Malcolm Rodriguez, I'm thinking, okay, this this makes sense now. right? I, I thought all along the 49ers are going to win this game, but when they were falling way behind, it does. There's something that triggers in your brain that says, oh, that's right. This guy was a seventh-round draft pick. And now we're seeing that seventh round draft pick. So then when he plays a second half like that, we remember, oh, here's the guy who's the MVP candidate. Here's the guy who's far exceeded every expectation along the way that plays way better than he looks. That's a great leader. So it's this, I, I'm even guilty of it at times. I think he's a, he's a really good quarterback, but do I think that he's going to go to any team and be that successful? I don't. I think a lot of it is the 49ers system and the players around him. But that doesn't matter because he's playing at an MVP level with his team. He doesn't have to quarterback the New Orleans Saints. He's got to play quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And he's a damn good quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. He showed it in that second half. That was a, a tremendous effort from him. You know, one of the things that when you watch when you watch that game, here's my problem. Let me go back to Campbell for a second. And this as a coach, you're always you're always trying to think both sides of it. Momentum, if anybody doesn't believe in momentum, all you got to do is watch that game because momentum shifted very, very quickly. And the only way they were going to get momentum was a massive play or a massive mistake. Coach Knight, we used to talk about victory favors a team making the fewest mistakes. That's more my problem with Campbell. He, maybe he didn't know. Maybe he hasn't coached long enough. I don't know. But he did the one thing that you could do that was going to give a really good team, the 49ers, momentum and this is not the Chicago Bears week eight or this is not the Green Bay Pack this is the best team in football and you gave him a chance and man you got to give Purdy credit for taking advantage of that opportunity yeah no he did and I think a lot of it Dan is about what uh, what Dan Campbell could live with in terms of how they lost let me give you an example mm -hmm. of that the momentum part of this I mean all momentum that eight minute stretch where they lost that 17 point lead and they completely fell apart and remember when they had the ball at the one on the punt and they, they sure. went into the end zone and got it to the 20 and everything was falling apart for the Lions. They get the ball back down three. And if you remember the first play of that drive, they hit Jamison Williams for like a 20, 25 yard completion, but he bobbles it and it looks like it's picked off by the 49ers for a second. And he regains the ball and takes it back. And I thought, aha, they're going to grab momentum back right there. That Remember that play. Down three with eight yeah. minutes left or whatever it was. That's a big momentum swing play because the way that game was going, and I saw him bobble that ball, I fully expected the 49ers to pick it off and end the game. So they get to that point. Then they get in field goal range, and it's fourth and three. So Dan Campbell's faced with that decision. And I, I'm trying to get in the mind of Dan Campbell here. He's probably thinking, we just got that one big swing play. The way this game is going, I trust Jared Goff and my offense and – St. Brown, I trust my guys more than I trust a kicker going out there and hitting a 47-yarder right now in this moment, the way this thing is going. And if we miss that field goal and they go down and score and we lose because I kicked a field goal and put it on the kicker and we lost, I'm not going to be able to live with myself with that. Now, what's the higher percentage play in the NFL? I think in perfect conditions weather-wise, which it was in San Francisco, it's to kick the field goal with a 47-yard field goal to tie the game. 
But that guy ain't playing the percentages. He's playing his gut feeling and what he can live with and how he can sleep at night. And I just think that's who the Lions are. And they decided we're going to try to carry that momentum of that Jamison Williams play and go make a play on offense again. The problem was, I think Greg Olson laid it out perfectly. They called a man beater on that play and they were in zone. And then they had nowhere to go with the ball once they dropped back. And I think pretty quickly realized that this play is not going to work. So I hate that it worked out the way that it did. But I think Dan Campbell's trying to factor in, what can I live with as a coach? Yeah, well, he's going to live with it. I mean, there's, there's he for damn sure gets – gets. I think you always try to go up an extra score, and I think you always tie the game. I mean, you know, but, hey, look, it's easy to sit here and say that. Campbell did a hell of a job. Uh, all right, quick, moving forward, we got a Super Bowl that has, once again, the Chiefs, 49ers. What do you like? What do you see? Man, we're going to have two weeks now uh, to start to prepare for this. I, look, I'll go back to my analogy. <laughs> but Patrick Mahomes, Dan, he is uh, he's John Wick until proven otherwise. And I, I know Brock Purdy looked like John Wick yesterday in that second half for the 49ers, but we get our second 49ers Chiefs Super Bowl in, what, four or five years that we're going to get to talk about. Now, instead of Jimmy Garoppolo playing quarterback, it's, it's Brock Purdy. Um, I'd like to think the 49ers get the best of this Chiefs team this go-around. I think they're the better overall team. But until proven otherwise, you cannot kill Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and that entire Chiefs team. And, and you're right about this. That defense is different than Chiefs teams in, in years past. So I think it's going to be a great game. I'm leaning 49ers right now to win a close game. But I, I'm going to have a difficult time putting money where my mouth is on that one because of – John Wick, a.k.a. Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it, my For friend. Man, Hot Dan. Mike coming up this afternoon. You. Thanks, Chad. Have a great show this afternoon. Chris Mano played for the Chiefs. We're going to talk to Chris coming up here in a minute. Don't forget, like, subscribe to all those great things, man. Thanks for joining us here. We will be back. We're going to continue the football conversation with the man who played in the NFL, Chris Mano. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. You know what? What a day. I'm going to miss football. That's all I'm going to tell you. I know college basketball is our thing. I get all that. But damn, I'm going to miss me some football. Chris Mano played in the NFL. Chris Mano played for the Kansas City Chiefs. Chris Mano, nice enough to join us right now. Let's get right into this. You got your hat. Big old hat, by the way, wearing it very, very proudly. What what do you see out of the Chiefs? You know, everybody was killing them. Kelsey should retire. They don't do this. They don't do that. Well, guess what? Here they are in the Super Bowl. What'd you see? I guess I saw what I always see, right? And I'm getting used to the point now. <laughs> I think we're approaching like Yankees territory where it's just the uh, Chiefs derangement syndrome, right? People are tired of seeing them win. And after a long enough time at the top, there's always going to be people kind of trying to take them down. But look, you lean on experience, stick with what works always, and trust in Mahomes, trust in Kelsey, and trust in Andy. And they seem to continue to find a way to do it. So that's what I see always. Everybody seems to love Andy Reid. What is it about him? He's like a, he's like an everyman, right? Doesn't Andy Reid seem like the kind of dude you can sit and have a have a drink with? You could talk ball with him. I've seen you've seen him on a podcast with both of the Kelseys. He's like a regular dude. He could be like your cool uncle who just and he's been successful everywhere he goes. Uh, never too much uh, 
stress around him, never too much, you know, drama or anything. Just kind of does his thing year in, year out. You know what you're getting from him. And he's super likable, dude. He's always been. You know, I'm going to go to this. I always said this. When I played and coached for Bob Knight at Indiana, I always felt like we made everything hard. Like everything was hard. Going to lunch was hard. Where we're going to go eat, it's just just hard. I I watch Andy Reid, and it's like, I don't know, Mahomes, everything's easy. Ah, we got a game. Ah, we'll show up. Ah, Kelsey. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah, well, I think I think that comes with continuity, and now these guys have been there. It's it's kind of interesting because the last time these two teams played four years ago, there's only four guys from the Chiefs that are still um, on the team that were that were in that game, but they're like four of the most pivotal guys that they have in Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, and Butker. They've been with with Big Red now for all those years. So just you know the deal with sportsmen, continuity brings comfort, right? And as you learn the system, it becomes second nature to these guys. That's uh, They speak the same language now, and it seems easy. But that, like I said, Andy going, Andy Reid's got that easygoing personality where on the private jet there or the charter jet, they got cheeseburgers instead of lobsters. So I guess it's always kind of – that's like his M.O., man. He's just a regular dude, easygoing dude, fun to be around. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's comfort. Again, comfort. Can you just and- having that comfort amongst these guys. In basketball, you can say, all right, we're going to kick this team's ass, me and you, I'm going to get you the ball, blah, 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 blah. It looked like to me yesterday that that was the setup for Kelsey and Mahomes. It was like, hey, look, this is going to be on us. I'm getting you the damn ball. It it just looked different yesterday between those two, right or wrong? No, it looked like the old days, right? And where everybody's saying Trav's washed, Trav's washed, Trav's distracted. And maybe he was at some point. Maybe he's starting to figure out this whole super celebrity thing too. But, but yeah, I mean, basketball is kind of different. You could probably speak to this better than I. Uh, on, bas- on a basketball team, you've got one or two killers. They can kind of take the game over, and, and that's how we roll. But offensive and even probably defensive football is like that. I remember growing, I mean, growing up watching some of these guys. I, I was with Carolina for a little bit, and I would watch Luke Keekley. And if 10 guys did the wrong thing and Luke Keekley diagnosed the play right, he makes the play and it's over. 11, uh, 10 other guys can do the wrong thing. Offensive football is so interesting because if the guys up front aren't doing the right thing, then the quarterback can't do the right thing. If the quarterback doesn't make the right read, then the receivers can't make the right play. So it's so crazy. But, yeah, these guys have found a familiarity and a trust in each other. And they've both proved – I guess they've proven to each other. And that's such a huge thing with, like, a pass-catching combination with a quarterback – is proving to your, you know, your quarterback that you're going to be in the right spot when you're supposed to be, and you're always going to make the play. Look, it's a consistency thing at that level. Everybody can make a play once in a while, but he's seen Trav do it. What he passed Jerry Rice yesterday for most postseason receptions in history. So it's look, he's going back to the well with what worked, and I think that's one thing that, honestly, that's one thing that I think the Chiefs kind of came away from the second half, where just stick with what works, guys. It, stick with what works, and and we they prove it's tried and true. And that's the Kelsey Mahomes relationship at this point, right? Let me go to the other side of it. Give me your thoughts. Will, we'll, again, this is hard to say, and we always overreact, but Lamar Jackson's going to win the MVP. Will he ever win a Super Bowl? Um, will he ever win? I hope not, because Pat's going to be here. And, I'm, again, I'm going to root with these guys forever. But he's such a likable dude. Like, you want to almost see him do well. Uh, look at his game. His game does his game transfer to postseason football? I tend to believe that it's the quarterbacks who look to throw before they run 
that kind of see that success. I think probably the closest I can remember is really Russell. Like Russell Wilson used to run a lot, but he would always look to throw first. And I think when Mahon, uh, when uh, when when Lamar develops the part of his game where he's looking to throw eyes downfield, always looking to push the ball and runs when he needs to, because obviously he's a he's a monster threat. And they gotta eliminate those big mistakes at the wrong times. That's you've seen that kill a million quarterbacks over you know in in my time watching ball. You can again make the right play most of the time, but when you it's consistency, consistency, consistency. You make the wrong play at the wrong time, and it's a killer, man. Like he. He, for the most part, he made a couple of plays that I don't know that another player on the planet can make, right? You saw him bat the ball up, catch it, and go. What other quarterback in the NFL can make that play? But uh, he's throwing into triple coverage because his wideout puts his hand up and says he's open. That's the kind of play. We can't throw in the middle of the field at that, at that point in the game so important and expect to live to, to, to play another week, you know? They said they they said during the broadcast that uh, they were going to hit Mahomes, talking about the Ravens. And, you know, from my standpoint, coaching a long time, that there's a broader thing there, meaning we're going to be uber aggressive. We're going to we're going to take it to them. We're going to hit them hard. You know, OK, all that kind of stuff. Do you think that mindset came back to cost the Ravens with the undisciplined penalties, you know, you know the late hits, the personal fouls? What, what do you think of that? What is, there's a fine line to it, right? I think about the, who's the best right. quarterback, like yes. universally thought to be the best quarterback of all time is Brady. And I watched them being a New York kid, watched them play the Giants. And the way that they got to him was they made him uncomfortable. They had Strahan rushing them. They had O.C. rushing them. They had Jason Pierre-Paul rushing them. And you can make even the best quarterbacks uncomfortable back there, and that's how you thrive. We saw that's how the Bucks killed Mahomes in that one Super Bowl, just constant pressure, make them uncomfortable. But you have to do it on the right side of the whistle because – I mean, and then the, the Chiefs, the, the stigma now is they get all the calls and people are complaining. I mean, the guy threw the crown of his helmet underneath his, shoulder, his chin strap. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something to be said for playing physical and, and kind of like toeing the line with dirty. I think Suggs used to do it for the Ravens really well. Toe that dirty line, but if you're hurting your team, if you start doing stupid stuff like that, and yeah, too many of those yesterday. And that goes from hitting Mahomes to... I mean, we watched the play where uh, where Roquan Smith smoked the Chiefs guard into the backfield, and that's normally a five-yard penalty. And I understood what they were doing with the down and distance, but this guy ran at him 100 miles an hour, and it, then it, it brought upon an unnecessary roughness, which is an extra 10 and an automatic first. So there's a way to, you know the drill, man, there's a way to play like borderline dirty, aggressive, make them uncomfortable without being stupid. And they were stupid a couple of times, quite frankly. Zay Flowers, too. Yeah, Zay Flower. I, I didn't realize this. Belichick would always say, don't extend the ball at the goal line unless it's fourth down. I, I didn't realize that. I, I saw Edelman and some of those guys talking about that. And Sneed made a great play. Sometimes you got to say the other guy just made a hell of a play, don't you? Yeah, that was an awesome play. That was an awesome play. And Sneed's super underrated, man. He's had an awesome year. It hasn't gotten really much love. He wasn't all, he didn't get the all-pro nod like I thought he might McDuffie did. But, yeah, that was a phenomenal play, and that's just off getting beat on the deep ball from Flowers a play or two earlier and getting kind of, like, face-mashed and flexed on. So I think he kind of came in there with intention to do damage and knock that ball out, and he kind of redeemed himself on after getting beat for 50-something. And that would have been such a – I think that was probably the biggest play of the game. Like, once – if Zay Flowers goes in there, and I'm really sweating. Trust me, I'm in my living room already starting to starting to breathe heavy. I think Zay Flowers goes in there, and I'm really starting to sweat, you know, towards the end of that game. Gives them that momentum. The Chiefs defense, I mean, uh, Chiefs offense wasn't doing anything on on the Baltimore defense. But, yeah, what a phenomenal 
what a big, big time play at a big time time for, and that's what the Chiefs do, right? They have a, they have a tendency to, I mean, they can be flat, be flat, be flat. And look, then you saw the play from Mahomes to MVS at the end of the game. The team was dead and a big play at a big time from a guy that you, you know, you're not sure if he's going to make it or not. And that's, that's the play, but yeah, big plays in big games, man. That's it. Let me, let me go the other way. You're in the locker room. I've always said this. Football players are smart. Football players are tough. Basketball players are kind of morons that are soft as hell. I, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm sorry. I've always said that. You said it. Um, I did. I said it, and I stand by it, and it gets proven damn near every day. But you're in the locker room. You know football. And if you're in the Lions, I get it. I'm going to listen to Dan Campbell. I'm all bought in. But there's got to be a part of me going, look, man, just kick the freaking field goal. Put us up 17 or tie the game. What are you doing? Yeah, so I guess I got a couple of thoughts on this. I think right now, because the wound is so fresh, people are going to crush him today. And probably rightfully so. Um, I would say this. You you almost, and I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. And who, you s- stick with what got you to the dance usually, right? So he makes... He gets either one of those. He's a hero, but obviously today he's kind of a goat. Um, I think it's like anything else, though, for these players who've never played in a big game, which you could see by the mistakes that the Lions made that they haven't. It's the same thing as coaching in a big game. This was the biggest game he's ever coached by a lot. You know, the lights get brighter, man. The the, the pressure gets heavier and the scrutiny gets heavier. So it's uh, they had a couple couple big mistakes on Dan Dan Campbell's part that he doesn't doesn't usually make, but. Again, I guess it's how you go about doing it. I think in a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, we'll start to feel a little different, like still be able – I mean, I heard people calling for his job yesterday on Twitter, and I'm like, guys, what are we doing? Yeah. This guy's turned the yeah. whole yeah. – I mean, people – these guys will go to war for him every week. And yeah. look, he's going to make – he made a bad call, maybe maybe two bad calls. But, yeah, it came back to Biden this time, and uh, we'll see going forward. But obviously you see coaching in the regular season versus coaching in the postseason is – it's two different worlds. So we'll see now if he makes the right adjustments going forward. But I don't think this is the last we're going to see in that Lions team. Man, they were young, hungry. They got players on both sides of the ball. Like I, I don't, I don't think this is the last we see of these Lions. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, and, and but players are smart. You know, it, right. it's not like I, I said this earlier, Chris. I, I, here's the deal: it's not like you're playing the best team, and you know, going in, this is the best team we played all year, and they're playing well. It's not like playing the Bears, you know, in Chicago in the in week eight or Carolina in week nine or, you know, you're, you, you, sure. you got to be right. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, three scores, go up three scores, tie the game. 100%. You know, that, those things right. against really good teams. You know what I mean? That, that's hard. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm a big proponent of take the points in the playoffs. You have to. But take uh, the points, man. yeah, I mean, I mean, but I guess on the other side of that and you tell me, uh, when you're playing against a team that I think everybody thinks is better than you, sometimes you got to take that shot or two. Again, it didn't yeah. work out for them this time. Yeah. But, you know, if, if one of those two work out, who knows what we're talking about. And, look, they made a million mistakes. It's as much as you want to kill Dan Campbell today. I watched uh, – I watched uh, um, his name escapes me right now uh, – drop two balls. I watched Jamison Williams drop oh, Reynolds, a ball. Oh, Reynolds, Reynolds, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, perfect. Reynolds dropped two balls. Jamison Williams dropped the ball. Yeah. One off a face. And and then, and yeah, and I mean, seeing these guys on the other side who are a better team taking advantage of these plays, ball clunks off a guy's face mask, and Brandon Ayuk goes bananas and makes a, a ridiculous catch for 51 and then goes in right after that. So it's like, it's 
taking advantage of your opportunities or making opportunities out of nothing that transfers to success. And it's who makes the play versus who doesn't make the play at this point. And it comes down to something so small, but yeah, like I said, I, I completely understand why, why, um, why Campbell's going to take heat today. And like I said, I think he's going to be right in the running for coach of the year, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't alleviate him from the, the killer mistakes he made yesterday for sure. And players. No, do I see agree. It, I, I, look, I, I agree. And he's, he's, you know, this is at least maybe I'm wrong about this, but this seemed, you know, bigger for the city of Detroit. This was bigger for that entire operation. <laughs> so anybody calling for Campbell's job, you know, is an idiot. Right. Before I let you go, uh, I have a theory in gambling, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, the Chiefs getting points. You always take them. I'm <laughs> taking the Chiefs. I saw this right. morning they're getting a point. You know what I mean? I, I'm taking it until that thing proves wrong. What do you see in the Super Bowl? I see the same thing. I mean, look, I, there's, there's, I was watching that Niners team, though, and they played about as bad a first half as I've seen them play, but they are just so loaded with yeah. weapons, man. I tweeted yesterday, like uh, – if your wideouts are having a bad game and you've got two killer wideouts, you got Debo and Ayuk, you go to the best running back in football. If the, be the best running back in football is not having a great game, you go to arguably the best tight end in football. If the best tight end in football is not having a great game, Mr. Irrelevant's running for 45 yards now. And I'm just like, you know, you got the best left tackle of a generation. It's like they never, they never, but yeah, like I said, but you, you hit the nail right on the head. Anytime you're giving Mahomes, you know, anytime Mahomes is getting points, Throw all your money behind him. I, I'm always trusted 15, and I've said that always. It's the first time a team that I root for and love. Like, I never panic when they're down. They can be down double digits in the third. I feel comfortable. I never stress. They never stress. They always find a way. And, yeah, until, until it's proven otherwise, man, go make money. Go make money with KC. I'm telling you, I, there are just certain things that over the years I've watched, and because they, they don't get points often. I mean, let's be, you know, no, whether it's Saban or Urban, yeah. they don't get, they, yeah, yeah, they don't get points. So when they do, you take advantage. Chris, I appreciate you, That's man. It. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you having me, man. Huge fan. I watch you all the time. You're doing great. Keep it up. Thanks, Chris. That's Chris, man. Oh, look, Hi. I'm with Chris. I mean, I always trust 15. I trust Mahomes. Hey, look, you're down 10. I trust you. You're down 10 with two minutes to go. Ah, hell, I probably trust you there, too. And to get points with Mahomes? Are you insane? I'll take it every time. I'll take it every stinking time. And we had a great weekend. Stock up, stock down. Here it is. Here it is, right from jump. Stock up, stock down. Kansas City Chiefs plus four and a half. We told you this on Friday. We told you this like it's our job. Kansas City Chiefs plus four and a half. If Urban Meyer is coaching a team and they're getting points, you take Urban and the points. If Nick Saban is coaching the team and they're getting points, you take Saban and the points. If the Kansas City Chiefs are, are getting points, you take the Chiefs and the points. Period. You just do. Now, you can add to that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's how San Francisco is. I haven't paid that much attention to San Francisco relative to the spread. I have paid attention to Kansas City relative to the spread. And when I saw that four and a half, I thought to myself, wow, that's a lot of points. I also, I had a big weekend. I also, thanks to a late touchdown, took the Lions. I took them on the money line, which I thought oh, my toes were going to be tapping. We were going to go to Sizzler. The world was going to be a happy place.
I also took him plus seven and a half and plus eight and a half because the sack man gave me eight and a half and I'd already take him at seven and a half and I take what the sack man gives me. So we had a monster weekend, but man, oh man, stock up. Brock Purdy against racist, yeah, I'll say it, race-baiting racist NFL analysts, whether it's Ryan Clark, RG3, that big fat Woody, whoever, you name it. And I don't even pay attention to these guys. In fact, I watched Get Up for the first time ever. Mike Greenberg's a friend of mine, but I haven't watched Get Up in forever. You got Ovlowski auditioning for jobs. You got Ryan Clark talking for 10 freaking minutes about nothing. It's like watching ESPN women's softball coverage. You get some young girl up there talking about feelings. I don't need feelings. Tell me about the game. And then you got Rex Ryan, who's awesome. Rex Ryan says in one little soundbite, way more than Orvlowski or, or Clark says in 10 minutes. But I'm telling you right now, you guys, you racist clowns can kiss my ass. You guys know this show. We, what do we do? Judge people by the content of their character and how they play, not the color of their skin. It made freaking these idiots crazy. And I kept saying it yesterday on Twitter. And I got called the KKK. I got called racist. I got called everything. Every play Brock Purdy made, I went, let's go. It's got to be crushing the soul of the African-American freaking analyst. It's crushing the heart. Crushing. Destroying. Because they can't, wait wait a second, all they see is color. That's it. All they see is color. They don't see anything else. They see somebody that doesn't look like them. They see somebody that is playing well, outplayed their brother, Lamar Jackson. Hell, Ryan Clark said it. The hardest thing I had to do was act all year like Brock Purdy was any good. You don't have to act like anything. Danny Z had a great article. Poor Ryan Clark. He was so pumped that he didn't have to act like Brock Purdy is good anymore. Guess he's going to have to start pretending again tomorrow. That's our boy, Danny Z. You know I love Danny Z. Tell you what, OutKick ain't afraid. OutKick ain't afraid at all. But everybody lost their mind. Racist this, racist that. Okay, racist my ass. Why is it okay for the African-American analysts to be racist and chop up a white dude because he's white, and we, as a white dude, can't say nothing. We're not allowed to say nothing. How about that play by Purdy, I said, crushing African-American NFL analyst's soul? That's what it does. And guys say, I, I mean, that's just wild that that, that that is your first thought when he makes a play. I said, yeah, I just, you know, what can I tell you? It's unfathomable about how a guy like Dockage can watch the NFC Championship game, and this is his immediate takeaway. See, you're not allowed as a white dude. Dan, you're a sick puppy. Yeah, you have issues. Sure I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. All right. You know what? Screw it. It's the same thing. Be racist against white dudes. Have somebody that has stones like me to call you out and then claim victim status. KKK in the house, screw you. If you're gonna bring race into it, then I'm gonna follow suit because on this show, we judge people by the content of their character and their play, not color of their skin. Stock up, Jim Harbaugh. Los Angeles Chargers, Jim Harbaugh said that he was, quote, a little starstruck 
talking to Justin Herbert. Really? Well, I'll tell you why he does that. Because Harbaugh is the master. He's become a master at getting players on his side. And as Pat Riley said 100 years ago, the key to coaching in professional sports is to get the two best players on your team to like you, to be with you. Well, there's nobody more important than Justin Herbert with the Chargers. And that's exactly what John Harbaugh is doing. And I applaud Harbaugh for doing it. I also applaud Harbaugh for being who he is, a coward. Makes a mess out there in Michigan, wins himself a natty, which all you little white guys talk about, the chip, man, the natty, right? All you little white dudes that never played nothing. We got the chip, man. And then he got the hell out of there. All right? All right? Okay. Man, as long as you get that chip, yo, that natty. I know you were third team all conference. I I get it. I do. I get it. Uh, Stock down Dan Campbell. Look, I get it. Uh, People love Dan Campbell. I like Dan Campbell. What the hell do I care about Dan Campbell? I like Dan Campbell. I think Dan Campbell's awesome. There's nothing wrong with Dan Campbell even a little bit. I do. Love it. It's great. But Dan Campbell did not understand who he was playing against yesterday, and that is not good. He did not understand that he was playing against the best team in football, arguably. Now, you want to make the argument that until they get beat, the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in football? That's fine. I'm cool with that. But the fact of the matter is, you're not playing against the Bears or the Packers, or you're not playing against the Minnesota Vikings in week four. I got a lot of hairs that are going nuts. You're not doing that. You're playing against the best team in football, and you got a chance to go up three scores with about a 90% field goal chance. You take it. You do it. You eliminate it. Then you got a chance to tie the game with plenty of time. See, people say that Campbell trusted his team to get the win. I disagree. Campbell did not trust his defense when they were down three and they had a chance to kick an easy field goal, a relatively easy field goal. He didn't trust his defense. He didn't trust what was going on on that side of the ball or else he would have done this. There was still plenty of time, over seven minutes to go, kick the field goal, tie it up. Guess what? Guess what? You get a stop, you got the ball back, you're ready to rock and roll. Uh, Stock down, Dawn Staley. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm tired of little scrappy coaches. You know, I I don't know what happened to Kim Mulkey. Her guy called me wanting to come on the show. I called him back. I never heard back from him. I'd love to have Kim Mulkey on. Dawn Staley got mad at a fine bomb caller. Good for Dawn Staley. She's being smart. See, here's this leads into the next. Dawn Staley and Kim Mulkey and Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese are keeping, they're keeping women's basketball in the limelight. They're making it controversial. They're making it interesting. By doing what? Bitching, whining, moaning, playing really well if you're Caitlin Clark. So Don Staley's team beats Angel Reese's team, and next thing you know, you got the two little scrappy coaches out there, and Don Staley loses her mind because she's mad at a caller of Feinstein. And I don't really care. But what I do care about is this next part, because this is pretty easy. All right? NFL, or excuse me, NBA which people were saying, wow, NBA is the next big thing. NBA is it. Did you know that the NBA got outdrawn, outrating by a women's college basketball game? Did you know this? Did you know? I'm not surprised. 
I, I'm not. I, I'm not surprised. Uh, the NBA ratings should be crap because NBA doesn't try. They don't try. Women's basketball, you can say whatever you want, but more viewers watch LSU, Kim Mulkey, Don Staley, than the Celtics Heat TNT broadcast. How about that? Good for women's sports. You know I'm a big proponent of women's sports. It was number nine against number one. And you know what? South Carolina won by six. The NBA averaged 1.38 million viewers. Women's basketball, 1.56 million viewers. How about that? LSU, 18-3, and 18-0 is what South Carolina is. Stock down NBA, stock up women's hoops ratings. All right, when we come back, you're not going to believe this. Tyreek Hill in the news. Tyreek Hill in the news. And, and he's incredible. Joe Burrow is not happy. He's not happy. You got to see this brawl. Unbelievable brawl in Venezuela. Let's have a last great half hour, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, we know this. We love this. We think this is the way the world is supposed to work. It is always the same idiots. Have I taught you nothing other than it is always the same idiots? So the other day, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, he of the many babies, he of triple baby mama drama, he of newly married but given birth left and right. Because Tyreek Hill apparently can't act like a human being. He has to be a farm animal. He has to go take that thing out into the woods like the, like the deer out here around my house and just start having at it. That's what he's got to do. Well, Tyreek Hill, it just popped up and media found it. Tyreek Hill apparently had, I don't know, filed for divorce from his wife, Kita. Baby Kita face. Kita Vaccaro. They've been married, oh, a long time. They've been married since November of 23 in time for Tyreek Hill to have three babies with other women. I mean, you don't give Tyreek Hill any time, man. He is stuffing it in everything he can stuff it in. And uh, you know what? Women have so low, such low self-esteem that this Keita woman is just like, yeah, I don't care. I'm getting that bag, yo. <laughs> so apparently Tyreek Hill, according to Tyreek Hill, who knows what's true? Uh, Tyreek Hill all of a sudden finds out, hey, wait, I didn't file for divorce. But here is a newspaper. Here is Twitter. Here, and here are the documents. Shows you filed for divorce. So Tyreek Hill says he fired his, quote, bonehead staffer slash lawyer who mistakenly filed divorce papers. Now, I want you to think about that just for a second. I've been through divorce. I have. I've been through divorce. I understand divorce. It's miserable, particularly when you got 18 kids like Tyreek Hill. Now, I, don't, I assume guy like Tyreek Hill can get divorced, not even tell his kids, and nobody would even know. I, I assume that's the kind of mess that happens when a farm animal is just out there having sex, having sex, having sex, and doesn't care, and away we go. I assume. But think about this. It's kind of personal. It's kind of dramatic, if you're a human being, that you file for divorce. Like, in the world of real human beings, filed for divorce means something, but apparently in the world of Tyreek Hill, some staffer just, ah, we'll send the papers in, you all are divorced. There's always a backstory, ladies and gentlemen. There is always a 
back story. File this under, I don't blame Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh was asked why, as a Michigan man, a Michigan legend, a Michigan head coach that brought a rarely seen national championship to the University of Michigan, would you leave Michigan? Harbaugh had an interesting statement. It's true. Hey, look, there's no Lombardi trophy in college. Well, there is. It's a national championship trophy. But I get what Harbaugh's saying. Look, Harbaugh understands I can win a national championship in college, which he did, and win a Lombardi trophy, and this is the time to do it. You don't stay at Michigan any longer if, if your true aspirations are the NFL. See, Nick Saban, he was in college, won national championship, left college, went to the NFL, so he scratched that itch. And then whatever happened at Miami happened, and he didn't make it or didn't want to make it or didn't get enough time, I don't know. He's back in college, and after winning another national championship, his itch was, I want to win another. And after winning another, his itch was, I want to win another. Not everybody is programmed the same, and I don't blame Jim Harbaugh at all, but don't think for a second there's not a backstory. Don't think for a second, well, let's look. You got an FBI investigation into your assistant coach, the offensive coordinator, a guy named Weiss, Matt Weiss, I think is his name, allegedly breaking into schools, hacking into schools, coaches, emails, practice plans, can't really do that. Practice film. So FBI's involved, cyber crimes. You got an NCAA investigation into all your shenanigans relative to cheating during COVID. You got a separate NCAA investigation into Connor Stallions, the guy who was allegedly filming all over the place. So you got two NCAA investigations going on, which you got to deal with. Now, the NFL opens up. The world is my oyster. I go get to live in L.A., I got a stud quarterback that I apparently really like, and and I don't have to deal with any of the crap that I just mentioned. I don't deal with any of it. Good luck cleaning up my mess. It's Pete Carroll style. It's genius. It's also genius the way Harbaugh, Harbaugh has handled everything. Has there been any controversy relative to what Jim Harbaugh has said about any of this? No. He hasn't opened his mouth. He hasn't put his foot in his mouth. If anything, Jim Harbaugh has ingrained himself into the common man because the common man will tell you, I don't care what you got to do, go get a championship. I don't care what you got to do. There are no rules. Go get a championship. And you know what? They're right. The court of public opinion is Harbaugh did absolutely what he had to do to get a championship. And now he gets a chance to do something no one's ever done, which is win a Lombardi trophy and a college football playoff trophy. No one's ever done it. So good for him. All right. I ain't mad. I do agree with Joe Burrow. I agree with Joe Burrow about taunting. See, taunting is one of the great things about playing sports. It is. Don't be a jackass. Don't be shoving. Don't be physical. But taunting is glorious. Yesterday, Zay Flowers made a deep catch. Long catch. Great play. He gets up. He spins the ball. Drops it on the opponent, which is automatic. Joe Burrow no likey. Joe Burrow says this. Let the guys taunt. Let them taunt. Hey, let the guys taunt. I'm with you on that. I am so with you on that. Look. Taunting is part of the 
what's the right word? I was going to say part of the game, but it's part of all games. It is part of every single game that you play. I don't care whether it's baseball or hockey or football or soccer or NFL or Little League. I don't care. Taunting is part of sports, period. And if that, if that, what I just said, offends you, then I wrote down two words for you. I don't care. That's Joe Biden two words, by the way. Don't care. Not even a little. Part of it. I didn't think they should have called a penalty on Flowers. However, those are the rules, and Flowers put it out there for the referee in front of the world, and the referee is trying to... Well, he's trying to advance. He's trying to help his career. And when you put it in the face of a referee by dropping the ball, that's automatic. That's not even close. But I'm with Joe Burrow on this. Let the fellas taunt. Let them taunt. Let's go. I don't care. I need a little taunting in my life. Give it to me, baby. Give me that stuff, that funk, that sweet, that funky stuff. Give it to me anyway. Things got a little tense. Venezuelan professional baseball. Things got a little tense. A little tense in the professional baseball league. And Yasir Puig. Remember Yasir Puig, built like a crazy person, came up with the Dodgers. Hell, made an unbelievable, unprecedented run for a while. And then he basically disappeared. I don't know what the hell he did, but he basically disappeared. Well, Yasir Puig has reappeared. Let's take a look at the brawl, and I think you'll be able to tell which one Puig is. coward. I don't want to get in the middle of that. That's just dudes losing their ever-loving mind. And Yasser Puig ain't fooling around, and he is built like hell. And those Venezuelans, apparently baseball is really important this time of year, because they're not just fighting, fighting. That was the entire, what was that? That was everybody that was, I don't know, in the stands, on the field, in the dugout. Dudes were standing, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't need. I've always said this. I've always said something like this. I wanted to go to a soccer match where I could die. Or I wanted to go to a Red Star uh, basketball game in Belgrade where they're going to shoot bottle rockets in the game. I always did. I always did. And I wouldn't mind have been at that fight, but I don't want to be right down there. I don't need that action in my life. I don't want that action in my life. I don't need that action in my life. That action does not need to be around me, not even a skosh, not even a little bit, not even sort of, kind of, maybe. No, I don't need it. No, no, Uh uh-uh. I I don't, no. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. Hey, remember Jim Palmer? Jim Palmer was like America's sexiest man, 20-game winner year after year after year with the Baltimore Orioles, the only staff that I knew was Quayar Palmer, Quayar Palmer, Dobson, and McAnally, all four starters, won 20 games. Well, 
here's the deal. Jim Palmer, who still has cachet and still has the greatest hair in adult male, well, maybe history, he ain't happy. He ain't happy with the Biden administration. He ain't happy with the border and the lack of control in the border. Uh, here is what Jim Palmer had to say. Amazing fact. A U.S. passport is about to expire. Sent it in. Expedited. Normally four to six weeks. Came back in 11 days. I guess they're not doing much passport business in our southern border. Well, Jim Palmer, you ain't wrong. You ain't wrong at all. Hey, uh, yo, let me see your passport, dude, that was out of a jail in Peru now trying to get into the border. Uh, let's just, you know... Let's just see what's going on. So immediately, of course, immediately, uh, people came at Palmer. Uh, Adam Chavone, you could have just stayed classy and dignified and non-political, which would have kept you beloved by almost all baseball fans instead of doing this for what will be a few hundred cheap likes. That guy, some guy named Adam, came at Palmer. Palmer said, Adam, I'm allowed to have an opinion. My opinion is open borders are detrimental to our country's safety. I would say the same things if we had open borders when Trump was our president. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, of course, of course. You know what? Good for Jim Palmer. More people speaking out. You're seeing what's happening. Now, all of a sudden, the border, because of all these governors in all these different states, are sending help to Texas. Now, all of a sudden, the border has become an issue for our idiot, our goofy, our ridiculous, our absolutely asinine president, our imbecile in chief, the imbecile in chief, ladies and gentlemen, letting everybody and their mother in is backfiring. Hell, even Snoop Dogg said the other day, that is nothing but love, yo, for Donald Trump. Nothing but love. All right. Well, you got to remember, Snoop Dogg is a sex trafficker that uh, most of America is afraid to say anything bad about, but that's all Snoop Dogg is is just a sex trafficker. Uh, News and notes from around the NFL, Joe Brady, who has been a very good offensive coordinator, whether he was at LSU with Joe Burrow or whether he took over for Ken Dorsey with the Buffalo Bills, is the new offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. Speaking of Buffalo Bills, man, and speaking of bad offenses, guess what? This will be a tough job. Tim Lester is now going to be the offensive coordinator at Iowa. This is a tough job from this standpoint, okay? You're coming in and replacing the coach, the head coach's son, his beloved son, all right? Brian Ferentz, man, he out. Tim Lester is in. Six years as head coach at Western Michigan, Lester went 37 and 32. He supervised an offense that ranked in the top 35 nationally each year. There you go. All right. What's the problem? No problem. Let's go. Forget about it. He's the offensive coordinator. He's the man. Let's go get him. I could care less, but I'm anxious to see how a guy replaces a guy's son. The coaching stuff in me is fascinating. We're going to replace the son. That ain't like replacing some guy that, you know, you just knew from coaching and you had to fire 
And now you bring in another. This is replacing a son of Kirk Ferentz. Man. Uh, listen to this. It's good to be a baseball player. Don't tell me baseball isn't popular. The Detroit Lions, who, by the way, have a new announcer. His name is Jason Bonetti, our boy, Bonetti. They signed their top infield prospect to a six-year extension of six years, $28 million, before he ever played in the major leagues. I am all about that. Let's get back to what's really important. Let's get back to Dan Campbell, all right? Couple of questions. First, Dan Campbell. Did Dan Campbell screw the game up and maybe, maybe send the franchise of the Detroit Lions backwards? I don't know the answer to the second one, but I know the answer to the first one. Let's hear from Dan Campbell after the game. And sometimes you can only say so much, you got to live it, unfortunately. You got to get your heart ripped out, which we did. And it's a lesson learned. And look, I told those guys, this may have been our only shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. I, I'm well aware. And it'll be, it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's easier. Maybe your team has more confidence now. I don't know. The other question is this, and you know what? I think I'm giving too much credence. I think I am. Did, do you think Brock Purdy, after his performance, put criticism to bed? Do you think Brock Purdy... Put, I, I say no, because the racists, the African-American racists on all of our channels, our sports channels, can't wait. If Brock Purdy does something wrong in the Super Bowl, you watch. It will be like yesterday never happened. It will be like yesterday was 10 years ago. These guys, Ryan Clark, I know how this works. I mean, I guess we're not allowed to say it, but I know how this works. I do. You guys, can, we can act like these guys, Ryan Clark or Damian Woody or RG3, wanna, want to accept a white quarterback in a world that, in their world, post-George Floyd, makes it very easy, very, very easy to rip on white dudes. There is no consequence for ripping on white dudes. There is none. And every African-American analyst knows it. Now, every white analyst knows that unless you work for a real media company like OutKick, understands that what I'm saying is really dangerous. I'm starting a new radio show on 1430. It's here in Indianapolis. You can join me at noon, noon to 3. Be interesting, because I'm going to say this on that radio show a terrestrial radio show. I'm interested in seeing the backlog because I know I am on the wrong side of the media here in Indianapolis. I'm the only thing the media has here in Indianapolis. Sports teams are boring except for the Pacers. Indiana basketball stinks. Writers have made more money and more awards writing articles about me. I understand this. So it's going to be, and they're all white which is fascinating because there's nothing, and one is a white liberal woman named Dana, and there's nothing worse than a white liberal woman. 
But let's be honest, if we're really going to talk honestly, which is what I've built a career on, then you got to understand the world, the sociology of the world that we live in. What is that change everybody was yelling? I want change. George Floyd, the fentanyl-ridden criminal, got killed. I want change. Well, part of that change is to be able to say whatever the hell you want about white people without consequence, and white people in positions in the media are scared to death to call anybody that is a racist towards white people racist towards white people, except Clay Travis, Aaron, Gary, me, the folks here at OutKick. We just tell you what's real. We respect people enough to tell you what's real. We respect people enough to be honest and not to shy away. So it'll be fascinating. But I will tell you this, Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy is going to have his ass handed to him by the same racists that tried to hand him his ass after last week's performance. You know, you know it's coming. You know they're sitting there lying in wait. Today they're going over. I mean, I saw some of RG3's comments about how great Brock Purdy is. I saw some of Ryan Clark's nothing but love from me. Look, I watched them today. I learned my lesson. I ain't watching these idiots no more. But I do follow on Twitter what's going on, and OutKick has made a point of exposing these racist clowns, and they should be exposed. Period. Period. Let's do it, baby. Let's woke a dope. I love it. I do. (sighs) Did you see that? The Mona Lisa. Climate change is scary. So I'm going to go get soup. I don't know if you saw this. I'm going to go get soup, and I'm going to throw it on the Mona Lisa. Soup. Not paint, soup. Climate's scary. You must listen to me. I'm going to throw soup. Soup on the Mona Lisa. I'm, I'm, I'm going right now. Here it is. Soup on Mona Lisa 2023. Man, protesters throw soup. You know what? Climate change is bad. Climate change is awful. Two women, a red liquid, and a painting. There you go. One of the women removes her ja- t-shirt, removes her jacket to reveal a t-shirt reading, Reposti Alimentarity, a food sustainability activist group in France whose name means food response. What is more important, art, art or healthy, sustainable food? Jesus. What a world. What a country. What a world. We're mad because, well, we don't like the Mona Lisa. Art bad, soup good. Doc, it's you're so shallow, you don't understand. You're exactly right. I don't understand. I don't want to understand. It gives me a headache to try to understand. Next! What the hell is this? Get in my ear, somebody. What is this? What are we defending? I don't know. Anyone? Anyone help a brother out here? Nick, anyone? What is that, though? What is this, Dylan? We're defending nicotine pouches? Huh? Oh, Chuck Schumer's trying to get them banned, so nicotine pouches bad. Everything's bad. Gas stove bad. Everything's bad. Nicotine pouches probably are bad. I stopped chewing about 10 years ago, and I'm very proud that I did. I was a 35-year chewer. In fact... 
If we'd have gone back to 2008 or 9, I'd have done this show and spitting into a cup. It's what I did. It's the grossest thing ever, and I don't miss it. But go get him, Chuck Schumer. Next! Look at our guy Biden. Is this awesome? In a bar, second from the left, wearing his helmet backwards. And then, of course, well, Hunter sneaks in between just to get a line. Go get him, Hunter. Hey, look, there's never a bad time to do a line of Coke. Even when your dad's in a video. No, this isn't real. But it is real, second from the left, that this idiot, Biden, didn't know how to put a hard hat on. And he put it on backwards. Now, maybe he tried to do it to be cool. Maybe he tried to do it to be down with the fellas. But the fact of the matter is, he's just a dumbass. Please be smart enough not to vote for him. Please. I mean, I'm begging you. I, I, I am begging you. All right? Hey, last thing before we go, there is an article. Old Miss women's basketball lost $8.4 million in 2023. And the head coach, who's an idiot, uh, doesn't understand why. She don't know why. Mark Harris has a great article on it. Look, women's college basketball is getting crushed. All right? Here is the report from Ole Miss. Football made itself $12,300,000. Basketball lost $3.6 million. Women's basketball lost $8.3 million. And baseball, baseball made $166,000. That's the report, net profit and losses for the four major sports. Basketball, nothing but a money pit. The women lost $8.5 million. So Coach Yo, Feeney McCoon, accused this guy of trying to present some sort of narrative about a program. The narrative was weak and with absolutely no context at all. Because, of course, I mean, this woman's an idiot. So she, I, we, not, the narrative was weak with absolutely no context, period. And then she goes, at all. But, of course, it did what the person opposed wanted to do. Get people like you to believe a tweet. I have stats as well, but have no reason to speak on something I know was used for clickbait and confusion. Okay. All right. Well, this woman isn't it. She's just dumb. She's just really dumb. And you know what? Women's basketball loses a ton of money. Ratings are getting going. NCAA tournament. NCAA men's tournament has to support the women's tournament. That's literally the way it is. And if people really wanted to talk about it, it would be more of this. But old Coach Yo doesn't understand it because old Coach Yo is a fool. Is a fool. But that's okay. Most coaches are. Got to thank you. What a great day. What a great day. Nick and Nick, fantastic job. Dylan, you're awesome. Uh, Aaron, as always, thank you. Beth the Booker, you the woman. Kaylee and Haley and everybody involved in our show. Gary, thank you very, very much. By the way, if you want more of me, 1430 the ticket in Indianapolis, starting a show today, noon to 3. It's 100% local. It's 100% local. I think you'll enjoy it. We did it for 14 years. The station that we're on literally in the last ratings book had no rating. It's a CBS affiliate. 1430, biggest signal in Indy. And they're trying to bring back local content. So what they do, they reached out to America's Greatest. That's right. They reached out to me. And we're going to take a swing. Who knows? Maybe nobody will listen. Who knows? Maybe everybody will listen. But I know this. It's going to be real. It's going to be raw. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be an extension of what I've learned here 
with OutKick. So if you got a chance, if you're in the car or somewhere, give a listen. If not, be right here. There's nowhere to go. We got Clay coming up. Of course, we got Hot Mike coming up. We always got uh, Tommy. Mornings, we got Charlie. Of course, we got Donovan McNabb and our friend Armando. We got everything here, baby. See you this afternoon. Have a great afternoon. Bye.